Uh, Lord, I thank you right now just speaking through me, your words of life, and everything accomplished through this word, your will be done. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, I've been dealing with uh, going deeper in prayer. It's the most important revelation, in my opinion, that we can get is a revelation about prayer as a Christian because Christianity itself is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's based not on religion, but on relationship. And everything is an outworking of your relationship. It's not an outworking of your religion. It's an outworking of your relationship with the Lord. That is where anointings are birthed. That is where the ministry is birthed. And that's where God, you know, imparts in us what we need to know and how to grow. It all comes out of prayer. And so I've dealt with the need for prayer. I've dealt with patterns in prayer up to this point. Next week, I'm, I'm planning on closing out the series and dealing with tabernacle prayer. <clears throat> but tonight, I want to talk about shifting the atmosphere. And one of the things I've learned about is just being in the ministry for years is this. The book of James talks about the fact that some people, he was rebuking people about not just being hearers of the word, but doers. And he used the expression, or the example rather, that, you know, some people, it would be like looking at yourself in a mirror to walk away from it and immediately forget what you look like. In other words, what would be the point? What's the point of looking in a mirror? To walk away and immediately forget what you just saw. Do you see what I'm saying? And so let me just encourage you that it's one thing to hear the word. It's an entirely, completely different thing to actually put the word of God into practice and be a doer of the word. What is the point of being a hearer if you're not going to apply what you're hearing? And this is important because it won't work for you unless you apply it. You see what I'm saying? In these type of lessons, it won't work unless we apply it. There's no point in the sermon. There's no point in the fact of even hearing the sermon unless we're going to actually use it. And I talked about how to approach God through the blood. And the blood brings the glory, makes us righteous appropriating the promises of the cross. I also then talked about um, renewing your mind and being thankful. You know, in life, um, I remember Kenneth Higgins saying this one time. He was saying that when he used to pray for the sick, see, there were times that his, his child would get sick. And when he went to pray for them for healing, he said he always first and foremost would thank God for every, every trial, every test. Because it's an opportunity to grow in Christ and to grow in your faith. And so he said before he would pray for healing, he would take a moment and say, Lord, I thank you so much for letting us go through this trial, this test of our faith, so that we can grow in Jesus and become more like you. I thank you, Lord, for all the things that you permit and allow in our lives. And he said there were times that while he was thanking the Lord, the healing took place before he even prayed for healing. See, it's, it's a thankful heart and it's praise that causes things to keep moving forward in your life. And like I talked about when I did the seductions of Satan, I talked about spiritual warfare. God has created us as Christians. There's no armor on your back. So if you're somebody that likes to run, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. 
and I'm not being funny, because when you take off running, there's no protection. But God has created us like the front end, the hull of a boat, to have that, that V shape at the front that we're called to press through adversity, and through that adversity, you become stronger. And they create these boats that they have a V shape at the front to break through the waves of resistance, but on the back end of, it, end of it, it's flat because they're never meant to drive backwards at high speeds, okay? And so God has created us as Christians like that V-shape to, to keep moving forward. And the way you keep moving forward in life is by growing in your prayer life, growing in your faith, by renewing your mind to the Scriptures. Like I talked about, entering in with thanksgiving and praise, washed in the blood of Jesus, and renewing your mind with those scriptures I gave you, and it strengthens your faith, and that heart of praise and worship keeps everything moving forward in your life. And as a Christian, believe me when I tell you, you want to keep moving forward. Satan tries so hard to get people to back off away from the relationship with God. You know what I'm saying? To get out of prayer, get out of church, Whatever he can do to possibly do that in your life, because he knows that once that is accomplished, then he knows he's going to be able to do a lot of damage. He knows that's the beginning of the end, right there. And so we've got to keep moving forward with God and not allow ourselves to slow down. Even sometimes the winds of adversity seem really strong. But those are the times that you can drive your sword down in the ground and anchor yourself in what you know. And having done all to stand, stand firm with the armor of God on, and that those winds of resistance are still blowing, but you're hanging on right there. You're gonna, in other words, I'm going to keep the ground I have. I'm not losing an inch. I may not be able to take a lot of ground today, but I'm not going to lose an inch. And when God sends relief, I'm going to get up and keep taking more ground. Okay. There's going to be a great battle in these last days. It's going to be a clash of power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says that the kingdom of God is not talk but power. I'll tell you what does not threaten the devil is sitting around having religious debates about pet doctrines does not threaten the devil. But what threatens the devil is when people come into a region under the anointing. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. What the devil is threatened by is the anointing. He's not threatened by your eloquent words or your lack thereof. But he's threatened by the power of God. And let me give you a couple things to think about. Number one, people have substituted the real authority of God for politics and control. I'm going to say it again. I want you to really hear these phrases. People have substituted the real authority of God. I'm talking about miracle working, the authority to see healings, the authority to drive out demons, the authority to see people baptized in the Holy Spirit, the, the authority to come in and shift the atmosphere that I'm going to get into tonight, to walk in kingdom authority. That authority, they, some have substituted it for politics and control. Which is an illegitimate authority. In other words, it's not from God, it's of man, and it very well can be, in many cases, demonic. 
The next thing I would like to say is this. Entertainment has replaced the true presence and the joy of the Lord. You know, people are really longing for the presence of God, whether they know it or not. And I'm going to tell you, I was listening to one guy that was, that was a youth pastor tell me this, and he was telling me about this event that he had went to. And it sounded good, and he was all excited about it. And he was telling me, yeah, man, from the very beginning, we were there for a couple hours, but it was just one thing after the other. And he was naming one drama after one thing after the next thing. And, and it all sounded like it was well done and all that, but there was not one time he ever mentioned, not one time he mentioned God's presence. Anybody being touched by God, anybody being healed, it was all about entertainment. Listen to me, friend. I don't care that much about entertainment because when you leave here tonight, you can go home and watch television and be entertained. Young people, you can go home and play your video game or whatever. Listen, we don't need more entertainment. We need God's presence. And that's what people are looking for. But since the presence of God has departed in many cases, then people say, well, we've got to come up with something to keep them you know, here and focused. And so they resort to all this entertainment. But entertainment in and of itself is not going to change one person. It's certainly not going to do anything eternally. But the Lord in His presence can heal people and set people free. And He can do something in literally five minutes that a lifetime of entertainment could never even come close to doing. So the goal is not entertaining people. The goal is getting people to have an encounter with the Lord. Now I heard uh, Paul Washer say one time, he said, you know, if, if somebody was came to church and told him, said, on the way here, I got hit by a bus going 60 miles an hour. And he looked at the guy and saw there was nothing wrong with him. Paul said, there's either two things. This guy's here completely delusional, lost his mind, or he's, he's a liar. Because there's no way that he got hit by a bus. And let me tell you something. God is a lot more powerful than a bus. When you have an encounter with the Lord, you're going to look different. You're going to act different. And you're truly going to be different because when you have an encounter with the Lord, it's life changing. In other words, we don't need another encounter with man, man's personality, all the entertainment, all the things that we can muster up and offer to people. That's not going to change anybody, but one minute with Jesus. One minute. It doesn't take a long time. One minute. You know, I've heard of people in the Middle East that it's hard for missionaries to get there. They're trying, but it's hard for them to get there. And Jesus himself is showing up in the dreams and the prayer times of Muslims and other people, Hindus and Buddhists. He's showing up, and just for a second, he reveals himself to them, and it changes their whole life and the whole life of their family. It only took an instant. It took a moment of all, you know, all that delusion, all that bondage to the devil, all that stuff that they've got wrapped in generationally, mind you, that they've been in bondage completely to the devil. And Jesus walks in for like 30 seconds and says, follow me. And walks out and it just just comes right off of them. And their whole life has changed. Their whole family's changed. It doesn't take a long time with Jesus. Okay? He doesn't have to sit around going, Well, if I can muster up enough power here, let me <laughs> Jesus can walk in and snap his finger and the whole city'll change, friend. There's people throughout history that have seen the power of God on a level where they were holding revival meetings and people a mile or two away that were plowing a field would get hit by the power of God. People that were driving down the road past the meeting getting hit by the power of God. 
people that just got around. How many knows it's a slippery creek bank? You get just a little too close. And you're liable to get sucked right in. And let me tell you too, when God comes down in a place, David Hogan had said that he had went through the worst two years of his life, which is usually the case right before revival. He went through the worst two years of his life. And he was telling about it. And he said that he began to get all of his people to pray and fast. And all of them were fasting. And they, they began to really cry out to God. And they prayed and fasted for like a year. Anyway, after he went through all that hell and they were all praying and fasting, crying out to God, they had a holy visitation. And he said they had had some meeting where the leaders were going to gather. In fact, everybody was coming and it was a little conference that his ministry would put on. And he said that the Lord came down. And he said it was so powerful that he said that everybody that was in that core area just was collapsed under the power. And he said that he was actually driving his truck and he was going into the area where the revival had just broken out. And he said that he, he hit, I guess, the entrance of the glory bubble. Okay, he was in his truck. He said he hit it and he slammed on his brakes because he went from just a normal drive down the road to all of a sudden just the power of God just hit him. And so he just stopped his truck. And he said he put it in reverse and, back, and he backed out of it. And then he drove back into it. Then he backed out. And he realized he had hit some kind of a barrier there. And he goes in. And his son, his son had had an open vision of Jesus. That had, Jesus had walked through the room. And Jesus said, I'm going to have to leave here because nobody has any faith. And his son looked at Jesus under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God and said, I'll believe. And that's when it all just, just exploded. And, his, and revival broke out in his ministry. It hasn't stopped since. Signs and wonders, the dead raised, awesome things. But that, I'm going to tell you, what would it be like if, if Brother David, going into these regions where people had never heard the gospel, these are tribal communities, these are villages, okay? They're, they're not people that are even used to entertainment. What would it be like if he went in there with his little group and they were going to put on some dramas, little dance? You know, they were going to go in there and entertain them, get them all excited, put on a little concert for them. Let's set up the karaoke, guys. I'll tell you, in the places he goes, they'd probably, they'd probably kill him, number one. But if he lived, if he lived through it, they certainly, nobody would be changed. But they don't do that. They go in there bringing the gospel of the kingdom of God with the power of God, and that's what changes whole villages. Let me tell you something else. Charismatic personalities have replaced the true anointing and the operation of the gifts in many places. Charismatic personalities. I got tired of that a long time ago, so there's no point in me saying I'm tired of it. I've been tired of it a long time ago. I'm not interested in somebody's little charismatic personality that they can run around, they can spit, you know, they can wave their little hanky in the air and get everybody all excited. I've seen it too much, friend. I grew up around I've seen it my whole life. I've, I've been tired of it. That don't impress anybody. But people that really don't have any discernment, they think that's the Holy Spirit. And they all get excited and they shout and everybody's jumping up and down and they'll whip up, that, they'll whip up that crowd real good, get them all excited, and it's really not even God. It's charismatic personality. That has substituted the true anointing. Why can't somebody just come in there and power? And bring it, okay? 
I don't have I don't have people come in and speak to you guys that that don't bring it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste my time. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of your good time. It's a waste of everybody's time. It's probably a waste of Jesus's time. But I'm going to have somebody in that can bring the power of God. It's like last night we had Jeff Baldwin come in. I mean, he doesn't just come in and just get everybody all excited. The guy's hilarious. Amen. He's a funny guy. But he comes in with a word from God and he operates in the power of God. And that's what we're looking for. There's nothing wrong with being funny, but let's bring the goods. Let's bring the kingdom. But anyway, let me get into this sermon. Get off my tangent now. (laughs) But I'm ready for people to get back to the book of Acts Christianity. I really am. It's happening in different places. Now we can see up to this point, I've been talking about extending and deepening your prayer life. Okay, we've been talking about how in the world, you know, Jesus said, could you not tarry one hour? That's for everybody. Ministers should at least be trying to pray two, three hours a day at least. And when you minister, try to pray five hours. So how in the world can that even be possible? Well, I told you that through this, I would bring this down to where it's not that hard. So let me show you some things. Number one, the Lord's Prayer I preached on yes, or last week could easily take an hour. As a matter of fact, just coming through the blood and taking the Lord's Supper and recognizing the cross, that alone can take a long time by itself if you wanted to. Not to mention time in the Word of God. You can get into the Word of God and begin to study the Word, and that can easily take an hour in and of itself. The tabernacle pattern that I'm going to talk about next week, don't miss next week, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to talk about that, that could easily take an hour. You can pray in the Spirit and also make intercession for an hour. And soaking in God's presence, which I'm going to get to today, that can easily take an hour. So what I'm saying is, is once you learn how to do this, it's really not that hard to have extended, deep, powerful prayer prayer times that are really meaningful. But every person that's ever been mightily used of God had a powerful prayer life. And every church that's been mightily used of God was a praying church. Every revival that has taken place in world history was birthed in prayer. It didn't just happen. It's not like they were just walking down the road one day and revival just fell on them, slapped them in the face, and they all fell on the ground. Where'd that come from? They all prayed and sought God earnestly, and God responded. But I'm going to talk today a little bit about weapons in prayer, and I'm going to talk about shifting the atmosphere. But let me tell you right now, God will many times place you in a, a location and in situations and circumstances where you are literally feeling like you're under a brass heaven you're feeling like it's a cloudless sky do you remember when Elijah he knew God, God had spoken to him said I'm going to send the rain and he prophesied it now he knows it takes faith to prophesy many times because I mean you're speaking out something by faith and Elijah told Ahab you better hitch up your chariot and take off because I hear the sound of rain it's about to hit and they had been in famine for years and Ahab knew that this was a man of God so he took off but Elijah went up and let me tell you something else just because you get a prophetic word you need to pray it through okay and Elijah knew that he had heard from God the rain was coming and what did he do? He didn't just sit around. He went and he began to intercede about it. 
And it was literally like he was a groaning and travailing about it, if you read the Bible, because it, the, his body posture seemed to indicate like a travailing. And he, and he told his servant, go look and see, do you see a cloud? And he kept doing this. Finally, the servant came back and said, I see the cloud the size of a man's hand, that's it. That's not big, okay? And so when you see a cloud this big, you know, but Elijah said, it's happening, let's go. <laughs> God will sometimes take and place you in situations that seem to be so dry and dead spiritually. And if you're not careful, it can be very discouraging. Because you feel like you're plowing. Instead of reaping, so to speak. Instead of enjoying the bounty, you feel like you just keep plowing and plowing and plowing. But what you've got to understand, there will come a breaking point. God didn't put you there for nothing. Eventually... There will be a cloud, and it may be the size of a man's hand. Seriously, it may just be a small drip, okay, that is beginning. But if you will run with that, it will keep growing and building and increasing and flowing until finally, eventually, it's a mighty river. But you cannot give up. You've got to keep pressing in. God will take ministers, and He'll do that to you, friend. He'll put you in the deadest place. And He expects you... You know what, Jesus? He expects you to bear fruit. He'll take you and He'll put you in some spiritual desert and dig a little hole there and plant you right there. <laughs> Cover the dirt up. And then He'll say, I expect you to bear fruit. I'll be back in a few days. Check on you. And He'll walk off. He expects us to begin to intercede and travail and bring the kingdom of God into that area. To begin to shift the atmosphere. It may not be overnight, friend. It may not be in weeks. It may not be in months. And it may even be in years. But eventually, you will get a breakthrough. He'll take ministers, those and intercessors. He'll take you. And if you have, especially if you have a certain type of gifting and anointing, He'll take you and place you in a region that, that is so absent of that gifting and anointing that it'll actually offend them. But you're called to bring that into that region and change that region. Let me give you an example. I knew a guy now out in East Texas. I pray things have changed. I bless him. But when I, was, when I lived there my whole life, I'm a native from there. I can rebuke that place if I want to. Okay, I'm from there. I was born there. So anyway... When I was there, it was a place of the deadest worship you've ever seen in your life. And there was a guy that was out there that God had his hand on him. And he, he was a pastor of a church. And there was such an anointing on him to bring in freedom and praise and worship. He faced the devil because that region had a problem with that. And there was, there was a lot of battle about freedom and praise and worship. But he stayed the course. And his church really saw a powerful move of the Spirit in that area. But see, God took him, because that area needed freedom and worship, God took this guy and, and planted him right in that spiritual desert and said, I expect you to bear fruit. I'll be back to check on you. In other words, I expect that worship's going to be free now. And you're going to start changing the atmosphere. It's going to start in you. Then it's going to go into your family. It's going to go into your church. And eventually it's going to affect other people. But it's going to start with you. Now get after it. And he did. Is this making sense? See, what people want is people want some great revival that's already broken out. And they want Jesus 
you just get an angel. You know, you ever seen that at the swimming pool? They take you like this. And they want you to throw you right in the river. And you're just going to go with the river of the Holy Ghost. That's what everybody wants. I just want to be thrown in the river, Jesus. You know, where God is already moving, just plant me there, Lord. Just throw me in the river. I'll be okay. And Jesus is saying, no, we're not going to do that. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take you there and dip you in the river. And then I'm going to take you out in the desert. And I'm going to dig a little hole. And then what you're going to do is you're going to bring the river to here. Isaiah 35. You're going to bring the river to the desert area. That's what you're going to do. But see, what a lot of people don't understand, and this, this is a little bit annoying to me because, you know, the way people act. They don't understand that a lot of these places they're seeing Mighty Moves of God started out with a bronze heaven, and it was dead as you could believe. I mean, it was just dry. And they were there travailing and interceding and persevering till they saw the cloud in the sky. And so people look years later and say, oh, okay, look at the river. But they don't understand that it wasn't all that long ago, a decade ago, 15 years ago, that it was a desert. I believe that the Lord is looking for those that will be faithful to where He can plant them, where they're going to be bearing fruit and being used of Him. And it takes, it's going to take a tremendous amount of humility and brokenness and a strong prayer life to see that happen. Let me give you a few things. The first one is intercession standing in the gap. Ezekiel 22.30 I looked for a man among them who could build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of this land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. You know why sometimes God has to bring destruction, why, why judgment has to come? Did you know God really does desire mercy over judgment? He would rather, he would rather send revival and bring change through revival rather than bringing change through judgment. In other words, here in America, America is not where it needs to be. And there's one of two things that's going to be in the future. Either there's going to be a mighty revival that changes America, or there's going to be a mighty judgment that changes America. God wants revival. I want revival. I know you want revival. But God needs people that will stand in the gap and intercede until revival comes. And people sit at it and they look at it and they're, and they're so frustrated. They're like, oh, well, look, just because it's a bronze sky, just because it's a spiritual desert, doesn't mean that we don't pray until the cloud comes. And it may come in the size of a man's hand. But that let the cloud come and build, but we've got to pray. If we don't pray, then ultimately judgment will have to come. But God wants revival. So the first thing about intercession is vicarious repentance, where you're repenting on behalf of the land. That shifts atmospheres. We're talking about shifting the atmosphere. That will shift an atmosphere. When you begin to do, like these generals right now, prayer in America, I'm so thankful we have people like Lou Engle in America. You know, he could be somewhere else. But God has allowed him to be here. And I'm thankful for those that are really praying and interceding, and they know how. They know how to get under the weight of the burden of the sin of this nation and to, and to repent before God. God, we ask forgiveness for, Lord, the abortions. We ask forgiveness for the sexual perversions. Lord, we repent before you. And as you're praying like that, it begins to shift the atmosphere. Now, let's bring it down to a real practical sense because I've had times where you're going to have to shift the atmosphere in different situations. One of them being this. How many knows when you go into a hotel room 
that most likely the people that had been there before you were probably not spirit-filled people that were holding prayer meetings. I think it's safe to say probably there was things that have happened in that room that was not of God. So sometimes, now given that sometimes it's worse than others, but there's many times I've gone into a hotel room and you can feel that there's a funkiness in the spiritual climate, okay? It is not of the Lord. And so let me tell you how to begin to shift the atmosphere. Because you don't want to lay down and go to sleep in that. Okay, That's a good way to toss and turn and have things you know, go on. So when you go into the hotel room, and this applies everywhere. Okay, I'm just giving you an example. Vicarious repentance. Lord, right now we ask forgiveness for anything that's gone on in this hotel room that wasn't right with you. If there's been witchcraft, if there's been sexual sins, whatever's been in this room. If there's been fights... If there's, there's been all kinds of maybe adulterous affairs, if there's been violence, if there's been people that, that you know, killed somebody here, Lord, we repent, ask forgiveness, wash this place in your blood. And you're going to notice right then the atmosphere begins to shift because you're getting the blood of Jesus washed over that room. I've also had times being in the ministry for very long, you come into all kinds of stuff and some of it is, is pretty creepy, Okay. And I've had times where I had to go and cleanse people's houses or whatever. And there's been things that's happened there. You know, maybe there was somebody that there was a, you know, some kind of satanic rituals. Or maybe there was a murder that happened there. And because of that, it really is oppressed there. And people move in there and they're like, you know, Pastor Scott, I need you to come pray. Something's not right about this house. Something's not right about this place. We need to get this place cleansed. The first thing we do is go in there and start confessing, getting it under the blood. And there's been a few times where it was real stubborn, and here's what I felt the Lord lead me to do. Where we would take communion together, and then we would take what represented the blood and the body, and you could always, you know, open up the, the land, so to speak, and you could put the body, what represents the body, and pour out the blood. But I'm telling you, as soon as the blood hits that land, it will shift the atmosphere. I've had times where it was stubborn and so oppressed. But as soon as you applied the blood, it began to break right there. And the atmosphere began to shift. Are you hearing me? So the first thing about shifting atmospheres has to do with vicarious repentance. Where you're confessing the sin of others. And it begins to shift that atmosphere right there. And the blood of Jesus begins to to cleanse and wash. And as that happens, the enemy begins to flee. The blood is what Satan's kingdom dreads the most. They are the most afraid of the blood. I've done a lot of deliverance over the years, and I'm going to tell you right now that the blood is what demons hate more than anything. There's a lady by the name of Dorian Irvine that came out of some really hardcore Satanism, and she had accepted the Lord. It was a miracle. She wrote about it in a book called Freed from Witchcraft. She was from England. And she was saying that after she got saved, she started going to church. But she didn't get any deliverance at all. I mean, she was still very demonized and all that. But she was sitting in church. Everything was fine unless they brought out communion. And she said, I mean, she would blank out and not remember anything. But she would be, as soon as what represents the blood got near her, those demons in her would manifest. She'd go berserk. And she'd be flopping around on the ground. And they were trying to knock the communion juice over. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They didn't want that, what represented the blood, they didn't want the blood touching her 
because they knew when the blood was thoroughly applied that she would be made holy and they would have to go. The blood of Jesus is what shifts the atmosphere in people. Some people say, well, it's hard for me to feel God's presence or enter in and receive from the Lord like others. Well, you need a good washing in the blood. You need to go through personal deliverance and inner healing and get the blood of Jesus to wash out your spirit, soul, and body, make you holy, and then things will leave that need to go, and then you can enter into God's presence. But it's the blood. And travailing in the spirit. The Apostle Paul, so first it's the blood, second travailing in the spirit. The Apostle Paul said, I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. Paul felt such an apostolic burden for the church of Galatia that they were backsliding and going back under the law after they had already experienced the power of Christ in the supernatural. Somebody had come in and Paul said, his words were, and bewitched them. But somebody had come in and tried to get them deceived and back under the law. And Paul was so burdened, he had such an intercessory burden, that he, he attributed it to childbirth. That he was groaning and travailing like you hear these intercessors doing, crying out to God in intercession so that Christ would be formed in them. That will shift atmospheres. The second thing about shifting atmospheres is the power of a blessing. Let me explain blessings. When you pray and you're asking God for things, your mouth, you know in the Bible, your mouth is seen as a bow and your words are seen as arrows. You need to be very careful what comes out of your mouth. And I'm going to explain that in a minute because that's really angered me sometimes about things I've seen that I've had to pull off people. That other people have spoken over them. In fact, just last week here, there, there was a young lady I've never seen before, and while I was praying, I said, in Jesus' name, I'm just standing back, I said, in Jesus' name, I just break negative words off you, and she instantly starts shaking and flew back under the power. Words have power. They have the power to bless people, and they have the power to curse people. You want your kids to live a, a messed up life? Keep speaking negative over them. But anyway, when you pray, your mouth is, is speaking what you're wanting God to do. When you pray in tongues, your mouth is speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. When you prophesy, prophecy is inspired speech. So the Holy Spirit is giving you something to speak. It may foretell the future, it may edify the person, or it may even correct something. But that's prophecy. It's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Another realm is faith confessions. Faith confessions are so powerful. I'm going somewhere with this. Follow me. And so whenever you, what a faith confession is, is when you pray about something and you genuinely believe it's done, then you come out of your prayer life speaking, it's done. This is done. This is happening. And you're speaking faith that this is happening in your life. The money's coming in. You know, the healing is already there. It's happening and you're speaking faith confessions and that shifts atmospheres. But what I want to get to is a realm of blessings. All of those are completely different things. When you pray, when you're praying in the Spirit, when you're prophesying, when you have faith confessions, and when you speak blessings, they're all powerful, but they're all different things. Speaking blessings is where you use your authority as a Christian to speak out positive words that you want to happen. 
This was never done away with. The Jewish people knew it all too well. That's why it was so coveted that a son would have his father's blessing that Jacob and Esau had the battle over that they did. And look at their lives after they got blessed. Not only Old Testament, the New Testament. When Jesus was brought little children, he didn't prophesy over them. He didn't even pray for them. The Bible says he blessed them. You know the rest of their life was blessed. When Jesus took them in his lap, put his hand on them and spoke a blessing over it, it set that in motion right there. Their, their destiny was now secure. They were going to move right into God's purpose for their life. And when we get to heaven, we're going to meet those people Jesus blessed. And I guarantee you, they're going to tell you, after he blessed my life, my life was set on course for what God wanted me to do. Blessings change the atmosphere. Blessings will shift an atmosphere quickly and powerfully. But blessings are also like this. If there's been no blessings spoken at all, it's as though the atmosphere is sterile. You guys know how it is when it hasn't rained for a long time and it rains. It's like the ground soaks up that water really quick. But if it keeps raining, keeps raining, pretty soon there's standing water. Blessings, if you'll keep speaking blessings and keep speaking blessings, it may feel like it's just soaking into the atmosphere. It's soaking into whatever you're blessing. But if you'll keep doing it, eventually you're going to see it's like standing water. It's saturating. See, you can bless a house. You go through a house and bless bedrooms. I bless these bedrooms in Jesus' name that you're going to have sweet rest and pleasant dreams. And you can quote the Bible, but I bless you. I bless the kitchen area. That food and drink is blessed to the nourishment and health of our bodies. You can bless the areas that you go in and out of your house. I bless you that there's going to be safety in travel. You can bless your vehicle to have safe travel. But more importantly, you bless people. And as you speak blessings, it begins to, those words go out of your mouth and they rest on people, places, and situations, and it will begin to turn them the direction that you spoke. Just like a curse can rest on somebody's life, and that curse is just, it just stuck on them, okay? And it seems to follow them everywhere they go. And it will create negative circumstances in their life. And every time they start getting ahead, it feels like it's pulling them back down. The blessing of God can rest on your life. And everywhere you go, it will cause good things to happen. It will cause you to prosper and to be successful. That's why in 1 Peter 3.9, the Apostle Peter understood the power of blessings. He said, don't ever repay evil for evil or insult with insult. Just because somebody's cursing you, don't turn around and curse them back. Okay, break it off your life and bless them. But he said, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called to inherit a blessing. If you learn the power of blessings, you will also begin to reap the benefits of blessings. See, when you bless your house, you're going to start reaping the benefits of what you spoke into your house. When you bless people, you're going to reap the benefits of that. I know in my life, just, you know, even in secular workplaces, there's been difficult situations and difficult people. But I've learned that if you'll pray about it and you'll bless them, it will turn it. If you sit around and grumble and complain and whine, it's not going to do anything but make everything negative and worse. 
Just like grumbling and complaining keeps you in a spiritual desert the rest of your life if you don't ever repent and be there. You know, some people die in that desert. It'll hold you back from your destiny. Not only that, but your in negative words, complaining, grumbling, negativity actually release death and curses and it causes it to get worse. The Bible says life and death are in the tongue. When you speak blessings, I'm telling you, angels are released. When people speak curses, demons are released. Now let me just tell you real quick. This is a good illustration. Even last night, I really don't think they would mind, but some of my dear ministry friends have been going through spiritual warfare. And I was telling, you know, Brianna earlier today, you know, yeah, the witches out there are praying, okay? They, they're going to do that till Jesus comes, okay? There's always going to be people out there that serve the devil and hate God's people and hate churches that are cursing churches. Okay, fine. That's not all that big of a deal. There is some power in that. But the problem is, is when the devil can find Christians and use them to do that. That's where it gets really powerful. Because the devil is now using God's people with God's authority to curse others. And I'll tell you how it comes. It comes in the way of somebody that's got a big mouth filled with gossip and slander. And their, their mouth has become a bow for the devil. And their, wor- their words have become the devil's arrows. And last night, some of my friends have been going through major spiritual attack. I really felt led to pray for them. And listen, friend, this stuff is no joke. It is serious when you're dealing with this witchcraft stuff. And I'm talking about Christians. Anyway, in this stuff, it come against my friends. And I was praying in the Spirit. And the Lord told me to pull it off of them. And as I took authority and I pulled all those words and those curses and I pulled that witchcraft off them, they, hit the, they were hit by the power of God hard. And I had one of them text me a day and said, I feel totally different. Listen, that stuff has power. And these are mighty men of God. Of course the devil's going to target them, but they're mighty men of God. So if, the, if that can hit and try to attack them, how much more so everybody else? Listen, these words, we've got to be careful with our words. Life and death is in the tongue. And the Lord wants us to make sure that we're not those... You know, the book of James says, your mouth can be lit on fire by hell. It says those words. James says, your mouth. He was talking to Christians. Your mouth can be set on fire by hell and it will release hell's fire. That's what it says. I don't want to die and stand before the Lord and that had been my life. I want to be somebody that God can say, you used your mouth for my kingdom, not the devil's kingdom. Amen? There's something deep and powerful in speaking blessings when you're in the atmosphere of heaven, I don't fully understand this, but when you're in the glory, when you're in the glory, there's something about speaking blessings in the glory that really is very powerful. Let me move on. I'm going to give you some other things about shifting the atmosphere. Ready? The power of anointing with oil. This is all through the Bible, Old Testament, but in the New Testament, Mark chapter 6, verse 13, it says Jesus had sent out people... And it says they drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. The anointing with oil is powerful, but oil in and of itself is just oil. So when I tell you about these things, I don't want anybody to to look too much at something, okay? It's just oil. 
But at the same time, when you set it apart to be used as anointing oil, there's something powerful about it. It's just oil, but when it's used for anointing oil, the, the Lord gets in it and there's an anointing in it. Does this make sense? Just like the waters of baptism. Baptism, you know, water is just water. But when you use it for water baptism, the Lord gets in it and it's very powerful. And there's been people I've seen with my own eyes and stories I've heard of people that have been water baptized. They have come up out of that water and they were miraculously healed. They've been miraculously delivered of bondages and even delivered of demons. And there's just a power in water baptism. It's very powerful. I'm going to talk about it next week so I don't want to get into it. But the anointing with oil. There's something about being set apart to be used by God. Remember... Whenever Moses, they had finished the tabernacle, Moses went to the Holy of Holies and he anointed everything with oil, backed all the way out, anointing everything with oil. Why? Because as he anointed it all with oil, it set it apart as holy to be used by God for his service, his purposes. And then the glory came. Something about anointing with oil, there's been times where I anointed somebody with oil and that's all I did. Next thing I know, they flew across the room and hit the ground. There's something about anointing with oil that the Bible says in James 5.14 that if you anoint with oil, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. In the word heal, some translations say save the sick because it's the word sozo and it means healed, delivered, prosper, do well, made whole. It's everything Jesus paid for on the cross is available. So when the elders anoint with oil, a prayer of faith will release healing and deliverance in people's lives. Are you hearing me? There's something about anointing with oil, setting somebody apart as holy unto God, that opens them up for miracles. Let me say that again. There's something about anointing people with oil that sets them apart as holy unto God and opens them up for miracles. There's something about anointing locations, anointing houses, that sets it apart in a powerful way. The next thing I want to talk about, you know, we've already talked about communion. I mean, communion by itself, I mean, you look at a wafer and juice, but when you set it apart to be used by God, God gets in it and it becomes awesome, powerful. It represents His body and blood. The anointing oil is the same way. So is the waters of baptism. When you set it apart for His use, it becomes something that God gets into and it's very powerful. The same thing is true with the shofar. Let me read you in Exodus. Exodus chapter 19, verse 14, it says, After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people at Mount Sinai, he consecrated them, washed their clothes. He said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. That's a shofar blast. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it. The smoke billowed up like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. you imagine this sight? As the sound of the trumpet, the shofar grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The voice of God is connected with the shofar. It just is. Let me tell you some things real quick. The shofar is awesome, powerful. It is a weapon. When Gideon went to battle, and I love the story of Gideon because truthfully, 
I mean, he had all these thousands of people and he was prepared to go to war. And the first thing God said was, get rid of all those that are afraid. Well, you know, when you're about to go to war, most people are at least a little bit scared. So, you know, Gideon goes out there and goes, hey guys, if, if you're scared, God said just go home. I mean, there was a mass exodus right there. And then Gideon had to, you know, you remember they drank from the water and those that drank a certain way. And God sifted that thing down to 300 people going against these great military powers. Now there was all these hundreds of thousands of people. And God had Gideon with only 300 people facing hundreds of thousands of people. And the strategy for war was simple. Gideon said we're going to surround them. And then we're all going to blast the shofar. Now imagine the guys probably thought, well, I mean, we're all going to die anyway. <laughs> There's 300 of us. Why not go out with a shout, you know? But anyway, they all got around the camp, and when they blasted the shofar and they broke this lantern, but anyway, as they blasted the shofar, it says that all of those people got confused. And when they got confused and disoriented, they began to kill each other. So Gideon's going down there, and they're all killing each other. They didn't even have to do anything. And they were able to take all of that spoil, all that those hundreds, thousands of people had, they were able to take all of that for themselves and split it among 300 people. But that is how the shofar works. It releases fear and confusion in the camp of the enemy. I'm, I mean, it pierces through the principalities and powers. Okay, It pierces through that wickedness in the heavenlies. It brings confusion and it parts the way. You know, some people say it feels like there's a brass heaven, like it's heavy. Alright, it may be. Blast the shofar into it and watch it part wide open. Also, the walls of Jericho. If you can only imagine this fortified city, and Joshua says we're going to march around it, you know, seven times. Well, for seven days. On the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. And then we're going to blast the shofar, and we're going to watch what happens. Imagine the people thought, what good is a shofar blast up against the huge brick wall, you know, the stone wall. But as they blasted the shofar, they watched that wall go straight down in front of them. And the enemy in there, here's the thing about the enemy. The enemy has a false sense of security. I'm talking about demonic powers and things. The enemy has a false sense of security. If God ever snaps his finger and the wall goes down, they're kind of caught with their pants down, so to speak. <laughs> I can just see those guys in there and they're all sitting around... You know, the dinner table eating and all that. And all of a sudden, and they're making fun of this. They're all sitting there making fun of them. Look at these goofy people. They're marching around. They're tooting their little horn, you know. Isn't that funny? They're all laughing about it, you know. And they're sitting there eating their dinner. And next thing you know, the wall just goes down. And there's all these trained military. Now they're coming in after them. It's like, it's not funny anymore now. See, the enemy, the, the enemy has a false sense of security. And the shofar blast will pull down the strongholds. It will pull down the strongholds. Y'all hearing me? It will pull down the strongholds. There's things that have been set in place, structures 
that the enemy has moved through and trafficked through, but the shofar blast brings it down. And it confuses the enemy. I believe at the shofar blast, strongholds crumble, there are spiritual earthquakes, and angels are dispatched. I believe that. David, whenever he was supposed to bring the ark into Jerusalem, you know, Pastor Jeff talked about that last night. You guys remember, he's out there dancing, his wife didn't like it. As David was coming in and he's bringing the ark, and I want you to picture this. The ark of God, the glory, had to come into Jerusalem. To get the glory in, they were coming in with shofar blast. Just think about that for a minute. The shofar blast has something to do with, yes, confusing the enemy and his strongholds coming out, but it also has something to do with the glory coming in. And you know, just saying this about the shofar, did you know when Jesus comes, the Bible says he's going to come back at a shofar blast? I don't know if people really thought about that. The last trump that's talking about a shofar blast, there's going to be an angel blowing that thing. You know it's going to be loud. Okay, everybody's going to hear it that's a Christian, that well, that's right with God. It's going to be loud enough for everybody around the world that's right with God to hear it. Okay? And it's, that's when the rapture is going to happen at a shofar blast. The next point, real quick, recovering all. I preached a sermon called Recovering All. If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to to go listen to that, okay? But in that sermon, I talked about this, talked about applying the blood by faith. There's something that will shift the atmosphere over people's lives that you're praying about if you pray this way. Lord, we ask you right now that the blood of Jesus come over their life. The blood comes over them. Then we ask you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit fill and brood over their life. And move everything in alignment with your will. Draw them unto you. Because the Holy Spirit, he'll do that. He'll draw people to Christ. And then, then, Lord, we ask you to send angels now that will remove the enemy's influence and help bring them into the will of God. Those three things, applying the blood, the Holy Spirit moving, and angels being dispatched will shift the atmosphere over people's lives that you're praying about. Luke 10, 19 says, I've I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. We're going to have to use our authority. Listen to me. God is waiting on some of us to rise up and start using our authority. Let me show you. You know, in the Bible, it talks about calling to the north, south, east, and west. But before I get into that, we have to be ready to use our authority. Just like I've been talking about in the sermons. When you're praying for loved ones, when you're praying for cities, when you're praying for for God's kingdom to advance, we've got to begin to bind back Satan's kingdom and release the kingdom of God. It shifts the atmosphere. I've been in sometimes churches, friend, where they've been through so much spiritual warfare, you can feel it. But as you begin to pray... Get the blood of Jesus washed in that place and begin to pray and press through. You begin to shift the atmosphere. Where now the atmosphere of hell that was there is leaving and the atmosphere of heaven is coming in. But see, when that happens, the enemy begins to lose the hold that he had. Are you hearing me? There's people that are in so much bondage to the devil out there, it's literally going to take a miracle for them to get saved. But you and I are called... To begin to raise our voice and bind away from them those demonic powers and release the kingdom of God. And they may not even feel it, but around them there's a wind that's blowing around them. 
But the Holy Spirit's moving in their life. Around them now, angels are coming in and sitting up beside them. And God's moving, and, and the devil knows it and can see it. But God's moving to bring them into the kingdom. Did you know there's been stories of people, just tell you how powerful Jesus is. There's been stories of people that's come out of hardcore Satanism, okay, that have told these stories. Where they were in, I'll give you different ones. One of them was they were in this meeting. And they were all there, you know, like in their black robes, and, the, and they were going to do a sacrifice. And all of a sudden, this shaft of light came into that place, and the altar broke in half. And it was like the ground beneath them was shaking, and they all took off out of there. That's the power of God. I'll tell you what happened. People say, why that happened? I'll tell you exactly why that happened. Because there were people that were praying. And Jesus said, okay, I'll show up and just scatter them. And I'm going to tell you something else. When that stuff happens, people get saved. Because they've been told that the devil is, you know, the devil's told them that he's almighty God and that he's all this. And when they realize that Jesus really is who he says he is, and light came in and overpowered darkness, Jesus came in and overpowered the devil, they're starting to turn over to Christ. There's also been stories of things like that I could share, but I don't want to get bogged down on it. But the Lord has the power to shift the atmosphere. There's been times where I was going through so much of a battle spiritually, and I'm sure some of you felt that, where it's just such a heaviness, and all of a sudden, I mean, as you're praying, all of a sudden it's like the atmosphere around you breaks and just shifts right there. Even last night when we were trying to do that fire tunnel, I felt at first like the enemy was resisting. But at some point, as we kept persevering, at some point, I don't know what happened in the spirit realm, but something broke and all heaven broke loose. Okay? And I was joking, I was joking around. I said, the fire tunnel has been lit. And then people, people came back through the line against him. I'm getting in on this. And, there was, and after that, I mean, people were all over the ground everywhere. What, that one guy, I've never even seen him before. He was under the power for like an hour. That was awesome. It was amazing. Praise God. People never be the same. You know, as awesome as, as Pastor Jeff's word was, you know, people remember and forget words. But I'm going to tell you something. They won't forget what they felt and experienced in God's presence. They'll never forget that. But let me read you a scripture. It's found in Isaiah 43, 5-7. It says this, Fear not. For I am with thee, I will bring thy seed from the east. And gather thee from the west, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created them for my glory. Now this is talking about Israel, but let me tell you something, that principle and that pattern is there. Whenever you went into the tabernacle, the altar of incense was made of gold and it was right before the Holy of Holies and it had four horns on it on each corner. That has to do with calling to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Horns speak of power. That has to do with us in praise and worship, the incense of praise and worship, having the authority and the power to call to the north, south, east, and west and command the enemy to give up the harvest. We have the authority and the power to push back the tides of darkness. There was one missionary that was sharing this. This was a true experience. They were on the border of Brazil. 
and I can't remember exactly. I apologize for that. But they were on the border of Brazil and another country. And as they crossed over from one country to the next, they noticed that when they were in Brazil, they could easily witness and it was bearing fruit. But when they crossed the border, it was not bearing fruit at all. Nobody wanted a pamphlet. Nobody wanted to be talked to. Everybody was very resistant. And they said that it became so noticeable to them that they followed. They tried to witness to one lady and she adamantly refused. And they followed her over to Brazil and witnessed her again and she was totally wide open. And what happened was is the church in Brazil had been praying and fasting and binding and pushing back the dark forces. That's what happened. Isn't that something? That's how much of a difference we can make in an area. You've got to understand, we have authority to bind up and push back those dark powers to where they cannot mess with people. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says that the God of this age has blinded their minds. Somebody has got to bind that and break it off of them. But you'll hear sometimes, I'm, uh, we go to the north, south, east, and west, and we'll bind back those dark forces and command them to release the harvest. That's important, and it's powerful. And you need to stay that direction until you feel that it's done. See, when you begin to pray like this, and you can't just do it to anything, you've got to stick with your realm of authority, so it's your harvest. When you begin to go a certain direction, say, Lord... I go toward the west right now and let the blood of Jesus come over the harvest you have for me, have for this ministry. And I bind Satan's kingdom that's trying to hold back that harvest. You have a right to do that. That's your harvest. I bind them now and I command they're going to release it. You stay there until you feel that thing shift. Don't just walk off yet. Stay there. And the Lord, ask the Lord, send your angels to take care of that. Bind that up so the harvest can come in because they're under the influence of that prevailing spirit. And whenever it's bound, then they can be released. And what happens is, is once that's bound, then you can ask that the wind of the Spirit of God begin to blow in the harvest. You can then begin to ask that God send forth the harvesting angels to bring them in. Because in the book of Matthew, I believe it's something like 13, 39. But anyway, Jesus said this. He said, the end of the age is the harvest and the harvesters are the angels. That's what he said. In these last days, God's going to mightily use angels to bring in the harvest. And we've got to learn to lay hold of what's rightfully ours. When you pray, if you, if you need provision, whatever it is, it's like, Lord, we put it under the blood. I bind the enemy away from it now. Get your hands off of it. You are not going to continue to resist my finances. You're not going to continue to resist me in this area. I bind you in Jesus' name and command that to be bound back. That shifts the atmosphere. And like Pastor Jeff talked about last night, I'm going to tell you, the glory of God brings in a lot with it. Remember he's talking about Obed-Edom's house? When the glory of God is in your life, the provision will be drawn to the glory. The gold follows the glory. The provision, the prosperity, the blessing, the health, all the things. There's something about being in the glory that causes all of that to take place. It's the glory. But to get into the glory, you've got to shift the atmosphere. You've got to drive back Satan's forces and bring in that glory. Let the glory come in. Something else that can be very powerful is prophetic acts. There was a story in Kings where Elisha had gone to one of Israel's kings and given him some arrows. And he told him, he said, strike these arrows on the ground. And the king felt stupid. 
And so he only struck the ground a couple times. And Elisha got mad and told him, he said, you know what? If you had really struck the ground like you're supposed to with those arrows and broken those arrows to pieces, God would have completely and totally delivered your enemies into your hand completely. He would have destroyed them. But because you struck the ground like, I don't remember, it was like three times, you're only going to see three victories. There's something, now that, you say, what does striking arrows to the ground have to do with anything? I don't know, but I know whenever God says do it and you do it, it releases something in the spirit realm. I don't understand prophetic acts. Nobody does. If they say they do, they don't. Nobody really understands prophetic acts. But when God tells you to do something and you do it, it's a prophetic act. It releases something in the spirit realm. You guys remember Lila, and she was talking about whenever God told them in the Brownsville Revival to begin to dig. And they laid out that big map, and they began to dig to the north. And asking the Lord to release the river to the north. Now, you can picture much of these ladies on a map, okay? And, they're, and they got invisible shovels, mind you. And they're digging to, you know, the north or whatever. Anybody that would see that would think, these people are as nutty as can be. But you know what testifies to the fact that they weren't nutty? Is that that revival went to the ends of the earth. It went to the ends of the earth. So they really did dig a ditch that released it to the ends of the earth. People say, oh, well, and I'm going to tell you something else about the power of blessings. Pastor Kilpatrick, you know, he said he was by himself and felt, you know, silly about it, but he had been cursing the, the area on the platform because he was frustrated. Well, really, he was just complaining to God, but it is cursing. He was complaining to God about things. And the Lord told him, quit cursing it and start blessing it. So he went in there and he began to bless the orchestra pit, began to bless the, the, the platform. And you know what? He said one of the things he spoke when he would bless it in the dark by himself in the sanctuary. Lord, I bless this thing. He said that the sounds of heaven will come from you and go to the ends of the earth. How did he know that years later, Lyndall Cooley would be up there? And the sounds of heaven would come forth and go to the ends of the earth. Tell me there's not power in what you say. Tell me there's not power in prophetic acts. Because there is. I've heard of people in different situations, you know, being led to do something, and they did it by faith, and it seems so silly. They went somewhere and they blasted a shofar or whatever, you know. They, they went somewhere and they dumped some anointing oil out. They went somewhere and they, they were... Okay, another example would be the Bay Revival. There was some, you know, a preacher that was coming through, and he saw these teenagers that were bouncing around like pogo sticks in the parking lot. Of, I believe it was the Daphne Center, and there was a policeman out there, and they asked, they asked the policeman, what are they doing? And they said, well, they're from a church, and they're, and they're praying, and they're jumping up and down and praying, and they're believing that God's going to open a portal of heaven. And the guy asked the police officer, who, mind you, is just there to make sure that nothing gets destroyed. I mean, he doesn't know what's going on. It's not like he's dancing. The guy asked the policeman and said, well, what do you think is going to happen? And the cop said... I don't know. So I guess God's going to give them a portal or whatever. And years later, little did they know that years later that Nathan Morris would be sent, okay, from England and would preach in that Daphne Center and revival would break out. And now it's known as the Great Bay of the Holy Spirit revival that's gone all over, all over the world, really. All over this nation. And of course, they've taken it to other nations. But little did they know that God really would release a portal. And how silly they looked to the world that they were bouncing around like pogo sticks in a parking lot. It's a prophetic act. They felt led to do it, and they did it by faith, 
looking silly to the world and to the religious. Because you know as well as I do that a lot of religious church people that drove by and say, there's a bunch of fanatics and a bunch of nuts out there don't know what they're doing. Well, I beg to differ that all those that's gotten saved in the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival and all those that's gotten healed, that those young people that were bouncing around like a bunch of pogo sticks, it did mean something. Let me close with soaking, okay? Listen, there's something powerful about soaking. You know, we talk about different forms of prayer. We talk about intercession. We talk about um, the things I've given you as far as patterns. But let me tell you something else about prayer. You know, as you work your way into the tabernacle, the last place, that's what I want to close with. The last place that you find yourself is in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is a place of soaking in the glory. And what a lot of you haven't even realized yet is that whenever God's moving... And he puts you out under the power. And there you are laid out. He's actually putting you in the Holy of Holies where God is trying to soak you with his glory. Too many people get hit by the power, fall out, and it's like, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, whatever, and then... (laughs) They're back up. I remember one time... um, Rodney Howard Brown was hilarious about this. I mean, he's just, he's a funny guy. But anyway, people get hit by the power. And sometimes some of these, these young people that, young people sometimes don't have a clue. And Zach was telling me last night, some of these that aren't, aren't even churched at all, since they're not here, I can tell about it. But one of their friends got hit by the power and he's out. And they're standing there looking at him and looking around and kind of kicking him, you know. <laughs> That's raw revival because you get people that's never been around the power of God. They don't know how to act. They're like, is he dead, man? Is his chest moving? He's kicking. They're going to kind of figure it out. And so Zach goes, guys, leave him alone, man. It's going. I didn't even see it. I'm in the microphone going, stay under the power, soak tonight, get all God's got for you. You know, literally I know there's a guy over there looking around kicking him. Hey. But too many people are bouncing up too quick. And I remember Brother Rodney used to do that. Is he'd, he'd preach, somebody would bounce back up, and he'd go all the way over there and get him go lay back down. God's not done yet, you know, and pray for me. There's something about being in the glory. We need to learn to get into the glory and soak. I'm being serious, friend. This is powerful. Soaking prayers. Catherine Kuhlman said this. She said that in that place of soaking... That that was the place that birthed the great anointing, a great anointing in her life, and she said that God would baptize her in the Holy Spirit before every crusade. Isn't that powerful? Benny Hinn said it was the place of great anointing. It's a place where deep calls to deep. It's a place of intimacy with God. But it's, let me let me read to you a powerful scripture. First Samuel three two. You guys know the story. Of Eli and Samuel. I'm going to read this here. I want you to get this. so powerful. You know, Eli was actually a mighty man of God. What God was angry about in Eli's life was that he didn't rebuke his sons. 
and didn't put his house in order. Is how many knows that whenever God's instructed you and given you responsibility like the husband, you know, you're gonna you're gonna give an account one day for how you ran your family. And let me tell you who's not gonna be there. Who's not gonna be there is gonna be your wife isn't gonna be there, and your kids aren't gonna be there, and your friends aren't gonna be there. You're gonna be there alone with Jesus, and he's gonna be asking you about how you ran your family. And that was the whole message God sent through Eli. Because his sons had gotten into sin, and Eli didn't rebuke them. and didn't deal with it. But let me read you the story. It says, 1 Samuel 3, just follow along. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. Now Samuel was just a little boy. You guys remember the story? His mom couldn't get pregnant. She ended up getting pregnant, and she gave Samuel to Eli. Who Eli was, the, I guess, the head priest of the time, a judge in Israel, a mighty man of God. And so the mother brought Samuel to Eli to train him to be a minister. He wasn't even, to my knowledge, a Levite or anything. But from birth, he was given to the Lord as a Nazarite. It happened at that time that Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel, listen to this, was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. How many's read right over that and didn't stop there? Let me read that again. Where was Samuel? He was laying down where the ark was. Where's the ark? In the Holy of Holies. E- Eli knew, if I can get little Samuel to sleep at night in the glory... Tell me the glory in your house and on your bed is important. It's important, friend. He knew if I can get Samuel to sleep by the ark at night, the glory of God will saturate his life and he'll become sensitive to the Lord. Now listen to what happens. The Lord called to little Samuel and said, I'm sorry, the Lord called to Samuel and he said, Here am I. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, for you call me. He thought it was Eli. So he's laying by the ark and God's trying to talk to him. And Samuel jumps up and runs to Eli thinking it's him. The Lord, verse 6, called yet again to Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli. Here I am for you called me. But he answered, I did not call you my son. Go lay down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again a third time. He arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for you call me. And Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel in which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew. Because his sons brought a curse on themselves, he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn that the house of Eli, the iniquity of Eli's house, shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. So Samuel laid down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision. And Eli called to Samuel, saying, Samuel, my son, here am I, he said. What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. 
May God do so and be it, be, I'm sorry, more so if you hide anything from me, all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do as he pleases. Imagine the responsibility of this little boy. Carrying the word of the Lord like that. Eli, who was the judge of Israel, and Samuel, this little boy, is prophesying to him that his house is going to be destroyed. His family is going to be destroyed. The weight of that burden. I'm sure that Samuel was terrified. He was a humble young man that God could use. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Anyway, I just wanted to read that to you because there's something about soaking in the presence of God. Yes, we need to have the patterns that I'm teaching you about. Next week I'll talk about the tabernacle, the Lord's Prayer, and all these things I'm teaching about the power of the blood. But let me tell you, as I pray and worship and get into God's presence, many times after I'm done praying... There's a time of just laying back and soaking in God's presence and just talking to Him. Just quietly. Let Him talk to you. And that can take a long time. And in that place is a place of great anointing. If you can really find that place, I'm telling you, it's a place that is so powerful. Even in church services, God's bringing people to that place by putting them out under the power. But in your, your own personal time, you can lay back and soak in God's presence. How powerful is it that we have all this time of prayer, we pray for our nation, we pray for our loved ones, we're, you know, we have an awesome prayer time, but then instead of just walking out of there, we lay back and listen to what the Lord has to say now. You know, we do all the talking a lot of times. If we'll lay back and listen, Lord, what are you speaking? It was in that place that's where Samuel heard the word of the Lord. As he laid by the glory and rested in God's presence, it was there that God spoke to him and he heard God's voice. Too many people have too many things going on. The TV's blaring. You know, they're doing this, they're doing that. And they wonder, why am I not hearing the Lord speak? Well, go find a quiet place where you can soak in his presence and you'll hear him. Let me tell you something about something like a prayer shawl. You know, it's like last night I felt led to, to use my jacket and pray for somebody. There's something about the Lord getting in not only communion, waters of baptism, anointing oil, and also getting in the shofar blast, but he will also get into to garments. There's been times that the Lord told me to do this. I don't know why, but I obey the Lord that I've just had my towel and thrown it literally across the room and hit somebody who wasn't even looking. And they go flying back under the power. What happened? The anointing gets in some. And some of you know, you've seen it, it's, it's funny. But I mean, it's a powerful thing. Why does God have you do that? I believe this reason, because that way people know that it's God and it's not somebody coming through there, you know, knocking you out or whatever. That God's really moving. But listen to this. I'll close with this. Deuteronomy 22.12 says, You will make for yourself tassels on four corners of your garments with which you cover yourself. So God commanded the nation of Israel to make these prayer shawls. It's just a piece of cloth. But just like anything else, just like this little piece of cloth, the anointing can get in something. I remember whenever I was at um, a Bobby Connor conference, some of you guys were there, 
and we went through there. I threw my jacket up there because everybody was putting stuff up there for them to pray over. And Bobby was hilarious, you know. He would anoint it like this, pray over it, and set it down, you know. But anyway, I remember though, as I come through that fire tunnel, and they gave me my jacket and prayed over me. I I felt the power of God in that jacket when I put it back on. The Lord gets in things like that. I don't understand it, but it's there. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Acts 19.11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Now, don't you think about that for a minute. The Apostle Paul, people came up to him while he was probably operating on the anointing and had him pray or whatever, somehow it came in contact with him. They would take it back because back then it was hard to travel. Like It's not like it is today. So, I mean, somebody was really sick. And they would take it all the way back to wherever they came from. There'd be somebody laying there sick, maybe dying on a bed. And they would take the garment Paul prayed over, drop it on them, and the person would be totally healed. Tell me that's not powerful. I remember in the Argentine revival, you can verify the story, it's in that book, Listen to Me, Satan, that you know Carlos and them had prayed over some handkerchief or whatever. And there was a home for these kids that had Down syndrome. And there was two kids had the same sickness. They were in the same location. And the mama got the handkerchief and put it on her boy. And he was so healed instantly that his facial features changed. The other woman saw it. She football tackled the other woman and they're fighting over the handkerchief. Now listen, you're thinking how can God move in this fist fight? This other woman got the handkerchief. She beat the other one down, I guess, got the handkerchief, threw it on her son across the room. He was healed. Isn't that something? I don't fully understand it, but there is something that can get into garments. And there's a transference of anointing. Many scholars believe that the Apostle Paul, who was a tent maker, the word for prayer shawl is talit, which is little tent. They believe that Paul actually probably made prayer shawls. That's actually that's what a lot of scholars believe. And that's actually what he made he did for a living. But Jesus, no doubt, as a rabbi, there's no doubt whatsoever that on his garments was some kind of a prayer shawl. And when he's going through there, there's a scripture in Micah four two that says, To those who fear the name of the Lord, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. Who's the Son of Righteousness? Jesus. He will rise with healing in his wings. Now, when somebody wears a prayer shawl and they raise their arms up like this, it looks like wings, okay? I'm going somewhere with us. The woman with the issue of blood. Jesus is going. He's walking through a crowd. No doubt has a prayer shawl. This woman knows that the scripture says that the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. She presses through the crowd and says, if I can only touch, what, the corner of his garment. Why? What's the big deal about the corner of the garment? Well, it's these tassels which represent the 613 laws. But she knew, if I can just touch the corner of his garment, I'll be healed. And she pressed through that crowd and finally got there and laid hold of the corner of his garment. And the anointing power of the Holy Spirit shot through that prayer shawl into that woman. And she was completely healed. Now that's something. Jesus didn't pray for her. She just touched something that had the anointing in it. Just like what I was saying about with the Apostle Paul. They had prayed over and sent it. And it was so powerful that Jesus is walking. 
It says, who touched me? And his disciples said, Lord, you know, we're being mobbed here by all these people. And, and, you're, and you're asking us, who touched you? And he says, no, somebody really touched me with faith. Okay, and he, and he found the woman. But let me tell you, there's something that's transferable. Now, I said all that to say this. When you're soaking in the glory, you want the, the glory of God to rest on you like a blanket. Many people um, will use something and just kind of wrap up and lay there in the glory, but there's something about being in that soaking place, that place of intimacy with God, where God can speak to you. There's something about it that's so powerful, it births a great anointing. And God can use things like a prayer shawl, anointing oil, a shofar blast. He uses these things. I said all that to share that because in your life of prayer, know that God can use those things. And He may use you to blast the shofar sometimes. He may use you to anoint something with oil. He may use you okay, to pray over garments and cloths and send them out for people to, to receive from God. So what I felt is this. I felt the Lord wanted me to pray for people that God will anoint you and bring you into a place of intimacy with Him. Because after you've gone through all these patterns of prayer, ultimately you want to get to the place where you can lay back in God's presence and soak and listen. It's in that place, not only will God speak to you, but it's in that place that there can be a real deep, strong, powerful impartation take place between you and the Lord. But too many people run into prayer, they've got their agenda, and they pray over it, and then they dash out. If you really want to go deep in the Lord, you're going to have to learn how to move with the Holy Spirit in prayer, but also how to sit back and soak in His presence and not rush out of that. Does that make sense? So what I want to do is I'm going to lay hands and pray for an impartation that has to do with going deep in your prayer and deep into the secret place. I want to go ahead and shut down recordings, but Lord, I pray right now that I want, I, I know in my heart, Lord, that I'm asking you right now to take people deep 